wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for May 10th, 2018. I am Graham Giusa Matthews. For the first time in about a month, I will be going at it alone here on today's show, talking all things Raw, SmackDown, maybe some 205 Live from Tuesday night, and that god-awful Backlash pay-per-view from Sunday, which, thankfully, I did not watch live. I did waste three and a half hours watching it, though I did spend my time watching it on Monday afternoon. I still regret watching it, but thankfully, I did not waste my Sunday night watching it, Um, and I was working anyway. I couldn't have watched it live even if I wanted to. I did watch it with Jason on Monday, but speaking of whom, we've had a great slew of guests here on the show over the last month, including Jason himself three weeks ago, I believe, here on WrestleRant Radio to help me break down the Superstar Shakeup, or in-depth on-site report from Raw, the Superstar Shakeup in Hartford, Connecticut. Two weeks ago, I believe we had Clark on for the first time in a while to help me break down Raw and SmackDown and preview the greatest Royal Rumble show from a few weeks ago. And last week, we had an amazing conversation with the one and only at Jamie Lee Mack on the Twitter machine, helping me preview Backlash and talking, especially Infinity War, which since last week, I've already gone on to see another two times. Uh, The movie is that good. Infinity War was better than probably anything I saw in the last week on WWE TV. And I thought Raw and SmackDown were both solid and effective in setting up the Money in the Bank pay-per-view for for next month, which I will be in attendance for and cannot wait to be there in Chicago to witness live. Uh, But Infinity War was on an entirely new level. Like, not even joking when I said last week where it's like my third new favorite movie of all time behind Back to the Future, the number one slot, which I do not think will ever be beaten, and Ghostbusters at a solid number two. Um, Infinity War is way up there. I had never seen a movie three times in theaters until or since Guardians of the Galaxy back in 2014. And that movie was amazing. And that movie had my number three spot on my favorite films of all time up until Infinity War a few weeks ago. So I will be seeing it a fourth time more than any other movie I've seen in theaters ever. Uh, So I will be watching it for a fourth time, hopefully at some point in the very near future, because I just can't get enough of that. I've been on an Infinity War binge the last two weeks. I saw it two and a half weeks ago for the first time, and I'm still all about Infinity War right now. So anyway, guys, if you haven't already, check out Avengers Infinity War. I will say no more than that. And then after watching the movie, check out our in-depth spoiler-filled review from Jamie and I right here on WrestleRant Radio. And if you don't want to check out the full episode... The entire movie review is up on YouTube. Yeah, go subscribe to me on the YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. The full review of Infinity War and our thoughts on the MCU, what's going to be happening next, our predictions for Avengers 4, all that great stuff is on the channel right now. And while you're at it, follow me on Twitter at WrestleRant. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews. And of course, the website itself, nextairwrestling.net. Check out my full written reviews of Raw, SmackDown, 
Again, that god-awful backlash yell from Sunday, which we will be discussing momentarily. And also every archived edition of WrestleRant Radio ever. But if you don't want to check it out on nextdaywrestling.net, there is an easier way to do so. And I've been plugging it every week since we've got it up there, but I'll continue to do so because it is now easier than ever to listen to WrestleRant Radio on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show, and in doing so, you get every archived episode ever dating back to October of 2013. That's almost five years worth of content right there. A lot of great content. So be sure to do so, and you get all the new episodes on Thursdays as well, including this one. So speaking of which, like I said, um, I'm not sure if this show will go the full hour here today because I really do not want to spend more time than I have to talking about Backlash, but I will because I do have plenty of thoughts in the pay-per-view. But beyond Backlash, we will be talking about Raw, SmackDown, maybe some 205 Live, and my overall expectations as of right now for Money in the Bank next month. Because like I said, I will be there in Chicago for the show. In addition to NXT TakeOver Chicago the night prior, so it should be a great weekend. Money in the Bank rarely disappoints. And based off what we saw this past week on WWE TV, I am hopeful that we're in for a better show. Hopefully than Backlash from this past week. Because that pay-per-view sucked. So we'll start from the top here. The kickoff show. Ruby Riot taking on Bailey. So Ruby Riot beat Sasha Banks on last week's Raw. Um, via the numbers game with help from the Riot Squad. What I thought was actually a really, really good match. Banks and Bailey, their whole fucking feud right now. No one could give two shits. I mean, I think there was a point where I was looking forward to seeing Banks turn heel, and she still could. Bailey could still go heel, too. It's really not set in stone that Sasha's the one that's going heel, but I do think that she would be a better heel than Bailey at this point. It's long overdue. Bailey's more likable than Sasha, though after this feud, I'm not really sure if that's, you know, I'm not really sure if that can be, uh, you know, set in stone, if that's really a, a hard-gone fact after that. I'm not really sure that it can't be debated, because Bailey and Banks have really been damaged, even well before the feud started. But, I mean, in the course of this program, they really come off as unlikable. But, anyway, Ruby Riot beat Sasha Banks the week prior on, uh, the week prior on Raw, so Ruby Riot took on Bailey on the Backlash kickoff show. It was a fine match. Bailey felt kind of off. This really was not that good of a match. Not nearly as good as Ruby Riot and Sasha from the week prior. Um, it was still fine for what it was. Once again, the Riot Squad interfering, leading to Ruby Riot picking up the victory and uh, earning her spot. I mean, it really was not for a spot in the money uh, in the money to make qualifying match for the next night. But she would go on to clash with Sasha the next night on Raw along with Ember Moon, which we'll talk about in our Raw review a little later on. But this was fine for what it was. Not bad. Not great. Just kind of there. Really, what can be said for the rest of the show? Except for the opener. I thought the opener was absolutely exceptional. And one of my favorite openers in recent memory from WWE. And that, that, that's kind of saying a lot because we've had a lot of great pay-per-view openers, I feel like. And I'm kind of thinking back in my head right now. Like, the last couple of pay-per-view openers for these pay-per-views have been just great from WWE. So you had this one right here, Seth Rollins versus The Miz for the Intercontinental Championship. They also opened the show at WrestleMania along with Finn Balor, for that very same title, and had one of the better matches all night at Elimination Chamber. It was the Women's Elimination Chamber match. Fastlane had Shinsuke Nakamura versus Rusev, which was better than it had any right to be. The Rumble had AJ Styles against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Even Clash of Champions, Baron Corbin, Dolph Ziggler, and Bobby Roode. I don't want to get two shits going in, but the match was great. So WWE really kind of um, delivering with their pay-per-view openers. 
And then it was all downhill from here, but the match itself was great. Uh, you you kind of figured, not even kind of, you, we all knew Rollins was winning. Miz was not taking that belt back to SmackDown after Rollins retained the title at the Greatest Royal Rumble show, and as well as Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy kept the United States Championship on SmackDown, so th- there was no real reason for Miz to win here and bring the belt back to the blue brand and uh, kind of stop this role that Rollins has been on for quite some time now, which we'll talk about soon enough when we get into the Raw review, but it continued here. Rollins has been on a hell of a roll, I would argue, since probably the gauntlet match, that amazing performance he put in on that show, back in, I think, mid-February, right before the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, when he lasted, like, well over an hour, beating John Cena, beating Roman Reigns, both clean, by the way, before falling to Elias, the guy had an amazing night on Raw at that point, and really kind of built off that in the weeks that followed, had a great run in the Elimination Chamber, had a great match with Miz the very next week. Had a great match with Finn Balor a few weeks ago for the Intercontinental Championship. So Seth Rollins really, like, the, the pure definition of firing in all cylinders right now is the architect, Seth Rollins. Um, and that continued here, like I said. Him and Miz worked really, really well together. And for a match that was so predictable, they really made the crowd think that Miz was going to win. And as well as me, like, not even the live audience, but, like, myself included, I found myself really getting caught up and those false finishes towards the end. That skull-crushing finale, both of them. The first one was great, the second one was even better. I was like, holy shit, he already hit it the first time. Will he really win the championship here? And they got me. Hook, line, and sinker, they got me. I thought Miz won the championship back there, but... Anyway. Alas, Miz did not regain the gold. And for the better, Rollins did retain as he should have, but... Um, it was a great match, great finish. Rollins hitting the curb stomp, or the stomp, whatever the hell you want to call it, to retain the Intercontinental Championship... And Miz heads off to SmackDown without gold. Now setting his sights on the WWE Championship with his aspirations of winning the Money in the Bank briefcase um, next month, which we'll talk about in the SmackDown review. But this was great stuff. This was a great Intercontinental Championship matchup. And Seth Rollins has been just... The guy's been killing it lately. Killing it. And Miz is no slouch in the ring either. I know the guy gets crap for his in-ring work. Oh, he's not great. He has to get carried. Blah, 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 blah. Miz has been putting in some of the best performances of his in-ring career, let alone over the last year and a half, but really especially in the last couple of months since he came back to TV. The matches with Roman I thought were pretty good. Um, the matches with Finn Balor and now Seth Rollins, the three-way of Mania, they've all been great. Miz has really been doing a great job of uh, bringing his A-game, the Hollywood A-list, the Hollywood A-list are bringing his um, self-proclaimed, obviously, Hollywood A-list, they're bringing his A-game in the ring and these matches week in and week out. And this was no exception. Uh, Rollins held on to the gold. Both guys came away from this looking really, really good. And unfortunately, like I said, Backlash was just fucking all downhill from that point. Uh, we had for the Raw Women's Championship, Nia Jax defending against Alexa Bliss. In a fine match, I thought the WrestleMania match was better. It's not saying much. The WrestleMania match was kind of was what it was as well. Um, but this was decent. I thought it was a little silly to think that Alexa Bliss... I mean, there were so many opportunities where it looked like she was going to win. And with such a huge size difference, and the story they're telling here, that really should not have been the case. I still say the WrestleMania match should have been a glorified squash, and I love Alexa, but I really do not think she loses much in getting squashed by Nia, given the fact that she's a pipsqueak next to Nia, you know, given their very distinct size difference here. So that did not happen. It was more of a competitive contest than I was anticipating. And as a result, it really just did nothing for me. I don't know. There were a few awkward spots. Apparently Alexa Bliss got injured. WWE.com put up a story 
soon after this match ended on Sunday night that Alexa Bliss suffered a shoulder injury in this match. And it was never confirmed. They said, stay tuned for more updates. Well, no updates. Alexa Bliss was not on Raw. She did film one of those awful selfie promos on her phone promoting the uh, the women's Money in the Bank ladder match, which I assume she will be in unless she's out for like six months, which I would hope not. Um, Nia Jax went on Twitter saying that she was faking the injury, so I'm not really sure what to believe here. Um, it, I, I, I can very well believe that she was legitimately hurt. Nia Jax is not the most graceful woman in the ring, um, but still, I would hope it's not too serious if it is legitimate and does not keep her out on the shelf for too, too long. But anyway, I thought this was, um, you know, fine. The result was what it should have been, Nia Jax holding on to the Raw Women's Championship. But what really got people talking was the post-match promo. Now, I've been a fan of Nia Jax's new baby-faced character since she first turned a few months ago. The whole, you know, standing up for everyone who's been bullied and don't take shit from anybody, anyone who's fat-shaming you and all this other stuff, don't listen to them, blah, 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 blah. That's all fine and dandy. She comes across as genuine, more often than not with her promos, in the interview she did with Renee Young a few months ago. Nia Jax comes across as a genuinely likable person. Unfortunately, her post-match promo on this show was fucking contrived as all shit. Uh, talking about, like, the Be A Star program. It does not get any more phony or fake than that. Throwing in the whole Be A Star line. And people were actually booing that. Not just the line, but the entire promo. Which surprised me, because Nia Jax has been getting more, more, you know, positive reactions lately than negative. But even they saw right through her phony facade here and uh, knew that her promo was not legitimate, not genuine whatsoever. So I thought that was really kind of a waste, really kind of ruined any momentum she might have had. I mean, she's not dead in the water, of course, but one promo's not going to kill her. But I did not really think that was necessary in the slightest. That really did not need to happen, but whatever. Uh, After that, for the United States Championship, Jeff Hardy defending against Randy Orton in a pretty good match. Um, I I have not rewatched their Rumble match from 2008 in a minute. Like, not... A legit minute, but isn't that what the kids say? Like a hot minute, meaning like a while, but anyway. Um, I watched the back maybe earlier this year, late last year. It was not too, too long ago. It was around Christmas time, but this might have been along the same lines and being good. I liked how they went for the same spot they did in that Rumble match. Not not the Rumble match, but the match they had at the 08 Rumble pay-per-view where Jeff Hardy went for the twist of fate and Orton immediately reversed into the RKO. And that's how he won on that show. Came completely out of nowhere. The crowd was beyond deflated because Jeff Hardy was so over. And he's still so over. The guy's a fucking rock star. But anyway, so they went for that spot and Hardy dodged this time. So he remember. And they also mentioned their match from the OA pay-per-view. The commentators mentioned, oh, the first time since 2008 that these two have crossed paths one-on-one. But it's like, okay, you're mentioning the match, but you're not mentioning the fact that he went for the same move that finished their match 10 years ago. So, whatever. A little history reference is enough for me. Just even acknowledging the fact they have faced off before, not completely ignoring their feud from 10 years ago. It's whatever. Uh, they're both baby faces. So, the fact the crowd was chanting for Rusev Day here did not surprise me. Though they did get into it down the stretch. It was a well, it was a well-wrestled match. The right guy went over. There's really not much more I could say about it other than that. But, just with Orton, I sound like a broken record by this point. But turning him heel would do wonders. Right now, I could not give two craps about the guy. He's been beyond bland as a babyface for like at least a year or two. At least since the Bray Wyatt he took a turn for the worse at the uh, beginning of 2017. Uh, the guy has been really spinning his wheels for a long time, having good matches. 
but it's very obvious that the guy is not having any real fun. From what it, from what it appears to me, maybe he might be, he could be, maybe he's having the most enjoyable run of his career right now. Probably because he's not working too many house shows and shit. But beyond that, um, it does not look like his televised character is having as much fun as he used to. So hopefully a change in character is imminent for Randy Orton. I could see him being placed in the Money in the Bank ladder match. I really don't care. Um, with Jeff Hardy, though, the guy will not be in the Money in the Bank ladder match. He did lose to Miz on Tuesday uh, on SmackDown, which I'll get to in my SmackDown review. But um, there are a number of potential opponents I could see him defending against in the future, including Entrades and Alamos, Shelton Benjamin, and a few others. So Jeff Hardy will be just fine as United States champion for the foreseeable future. Then after that, on a show that was not already long enough, that, that you know, sarcastically speaking... We had to have an unannounced Elias concert, and I love Elias. I'm a big advocate of the Walk with Elias campaign and all this other stuff. But on a show that already went overtime. So by the time the Bobby Lashley-Braun tag team match ended, it was basically 11 o'clock. And I'm thinking, okay, because I'm watching on delay, I'm watching the next day. I'm thinking, okay, I see the three and a half hour ticker here. Thinking, okay, the last 27 minutes is like the, the Talking Smack post show. But it wasn't. The entire show was three and a half hours, which is beyond ridiculous for a show that really was not that good. But the point I'm trying to make here is that on a three and a half hour show, when you have a segment like this, you don't need to have it happen. You don't need to book shit like this. It's like, what? I mean, I enjoyed certain aspects of it, but it's like, if this is what we're in for now that we have the the co-branded pay-per-views or whatever, then I'm not looking forward to the co-branded pay-per-views. Because this was a steaming pile of shit. So you had Elias attempting to sing a concert before being interrupted by The New Day, and then Rusev Day, and then No Way Jose, and then Bobby Roode, who I think may have laid him out, I don't remember. I try to get this out of my brain as soon as possible. Um, But this was really just a waste of time. After that, Daniel Bryan taking on Big Cass in his first one-on-one match on pay-per-view since... I think Fastlane 2015, if I'm not mistaken, because I know he wrestled the WrestleMania in a ladder match, in a multi-man ladder match at WrestleMania 31, and then he was supposed to wrestle Wade Barrett for the Intercontinental Championship, I think at Extreme Rules 2015, um, maybe Payback or one of those two shows. I think it was Extreme Rules. Anyway, he was supposed to wrestle Barrett on that show. He got injured, and he never wrestled again after that, so... That being said, and obviously at WrestleMania 34, he was involved in the tag team match. So, yeah, Brian's first big singles match back on pay-per-view against um, Big Cass. The match wasn't bad. It wasn't really that good either. This was really Big Cass's opportunity to break through here, have a strong showing, show that he is a lot better in the ring than people give him credit for. Nope. Just a mediocre match. Big Cass was on offense for most of it. And, uh, I don't know, it just kind of felt like another match. Did not feel like a special Daniel Bryan match, like, at all whatsoever. It was really just kind of there. And as if that wasn't underwhelming enough, Daniel Bryan just goes on to tap Big Cass out in two seconds. Literally, within two or three seconds, Big Cass tapped out to the yes lock. And then, in predictable fashion, Big Cass laid out Daniel Bryan afterward to keep the feud alive. Despite the fact Big Cass was nowhere to be seen on SmackDown on Tuesday. So, I don't know what the status of that storyline is. I would assume they're going to have a rematch of the pay-per-view coming up. Who could possibly give a shit? I have no idea. Um, after this really did nothing to excite me whatsoever, but whatever. Um, I'm happy Daniel Bryan won, but it's like, 
Why even bother attempting to push Big Cass if he's going to lose as decisively as he did here? Post-match attack or not, I thought that was really stupid. Anyway, um, SmackDown Women's Championship match was up after that. Carmella defending against Charlotte Flair in a match. Well, speaking of matches that didn't impress me, this was one of them. This really should have been a lot better than what it was. Charlotte Flair, great worker. Not a miracle worker, unfortunately. Carmella has been impressing me a lot. A lot like Big Cass, her former boyfriend in real life. Um, her former valet, her former you know tag team partner on NXT TV, whatever. You know, a lot like Big Cass has been impressing me on the mic in recent weeks. In the ring, this was her chance to really have, maybe not a five-star Matt Classic, but show that she is capable of um, holding her own as a champion on the SmackDown brand in the ring. And she failed. She just flat-out failed there. This was not a good match. Easily the worst match in the entire show. If we had to uh, rank these from uh, best to worst, the best would be the opener. The worst would easily be this match. This was just terrible. Just a lot of awkward spots. Carmella did nothing but yell the entire time, which normally I'm fine with. On this show, it was just like, oh my god, just fucking do something already. Um, but no, this was not good. Carmella did technically win clean. Charlotte went for the back moonsault, and Carmella, like, kicked her knee underneath her or whatever, and then immediately pinned Charlotte and won. I thought I was expecting interference from the Iconics. I mean, it was a good win for Carmella, but the match itself sucked. The match was no good. And the feud will continue. I mean, Charlotte Flair has advanced to the Money in the Bank women's match, a ladder match at the pay-per-view coming up, so... They're obviously not doing a rematch so soon, but I could see a scenario where Charlotte wins the women's briefcase and goes on to beat Carmella for the title to get her belt back. Because how you know poetic would that be? The same way that Charlotte lost her championship could be the same way that she wins back her championship. And as of right now, I'm not really sure who else would be a good fit for that briefcase. Becky Lynch would be great. I think I, I, think I said Becky Lynch a few weeks ago. It's just kind of a random thing on hashtag AskGSM. But that was assuming Charlotte was not going to be in it. Now that I know she's going to be in it, Charlotte's my new pick to win it all. Um, which isn't terrible, but I really wish they would go with a fresh face. And Charlotte is the, the queen bee of the SmackDown women's division. I get it. But they got to start giving more women opportunities. Becky Lynch has been an afterthought for like well over a year now. Naomi had her shot. Um, I, I don't know if I'd be okay with her winning the briefcase. She won that Battle Royal WrestleMania, which really meant nothing in retrospect. And on the Raw side, you have Ember Moon, you have Ruby Riot, Bailey or Banks. I would hope not, but you have Bailey or Banks and a few others. So they got a pretty loaded women's division right now where they can go with other women and win that briefcase other than Charlotte. But I still think that Charlotte's going to win it anyway. I don't know if Carmella's going to defend her championship at the next pay-per-view with uh, this women's ladder match happening. I mean, I think they did it last year's show when they had a women's Money in the Bank ladder match, the first ever one. And they had Naomi versus Lana on the undercard, which was terrible for the SmackDown Women's Championship. I guess they could do the same thing on this show. But really, does anyone else stand out as a potential challenger for Carmella? Becky Lynch just fucking lost to Mandy Rose on SmackDown this week. Naomi has been persona non grata for weeks. So I would keep Carmella off that next pay-per-view and have her sitting by the sidelines for Money in the Bank. And then we got to what I thought was her second-best match of the night for the WWE Championship, a no-disqualification match. Remember that. For the WWE title, AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura rekindling their rivalry on the show. 
And what I thought was a great match, easily their best encounter in a WWE ring to date. And then the finish just just completely... I don't know. Uh, it was just super, super disappointing, to say the least. I mean, for a match that was going so well, and a lot of people were saying, oh, why isn't this main eventing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, obviously now we know why, with the awful, awful, awful finish. But even then, I feel like that would have been a better way to close out the show than what we ended up getting. So, Shinsuke Nakamura, um, and, you know, we're, or uh, Nutamora, Nutcracker Mora, whatever um, Clark was calling him two weeks ago, whatever you want to call him. So he hit a number of low blows in typical Shinsuke fashion on the show. The king of uh, low blows, instead of the king of strong styles, what he should be called. Hitting uh, many a low blow on this show to AJ. Not once did AJ reveal that he had a cup on, making him the dumbest babyface in the history of this company. How many times has he been low blow to this point? Four, five, at least six, if not seven. The guy's beyond stupid for not, you know, at least investing in a cup or showing any sense of protection towards his groin area. Anyway, so he retaliated, hit Nakamura with a low blow as well halfway through. There was also one nasty-ass spot where AJ threw a chair right in Nakamura when he was going for the Kinsasha, and AJ uh, caught the chair on a ricochet from, not the ricochet, not the one, there's only there's only one and only, uh, there, there is only one and the only ricochet. There is not multiple. But this ricochet was when the chair bounced back from Nakamura's knee right back into AJ's face. And it looked brutal. The guy was bleeding. It was not a not a pretty sight. But he did, you know, he did finish the match. So then they both go for low blows. And they both go down in comical fashion. And then the referee proceeds to count to ten. So there is a draw and a no disqualification match. Now, I guess you could do that in a no DQ match. I've never seen it before. From my understanding... The only way to win a no DQ match is to win by pinfall or submission. There's no disqualifications, and it's also implied there's no countouts. So, I thought that was a real disconnect there. They kind of like to worm their way around the around the rules. They like to make shit up as they go along, but that was really lame. Really lame. Thankfully, the feud is hot enough where it shouldn't really matter when they go back to this feud, like, you know, in time for Money in the Bank. But still, that's really a fucked up finish. But AJ is still the WWE champion in light of the draw. Um, They did not wrestle on SmackDown. They did not appear before the live crowd during the SmackDown taping anyway. And they just talked about not being medically cleared to compete on SmackDown because of the low blows and because of AJ's uh, cheek injury, the chair injury, whatever. So I assume a rematch is in the works for Money in the Bank, but... As we've all said before, if Nakamura does not win on that show, it's all over. I mean, the guy has now had, by Money in the Bank, assuming they don't have a TV title match between now and then, Nakamura has now had five opportunities at the WWE Championship. Five! Five opportunities. That is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And I love Nakamura, but it's like, okay, it's that classic saying, you either shit or get off the pot with this guy. Either give him the championship or move the fuck on. And I love the feud, but it's like, if Nakamura doesn't beat AJ at the next show, which, I mean, I hope he does, but it's like, and I, I don't think he will, to be honest with you, I really do think AJ's holding on to the gold for a little while longer to feud with either 
Samoa Joe or Big Cass. I hope the fucking God it's not Big Cass, but I can very well see it being Big Cass. Or anybody. Anybody else. Uh, the Nakamura's chances of becoming WWE champion are not completely dead. He could always win the belt at some point down the road, but he's a hot heel right now. Nakamura's been killing it in this role. So to not give him the championship would be questionable. They didn't do it on the show, but at least it's evident the feud is continuing. Despite the fact the finish was not well done at all. And then the final hour of the show happened. We had a tag team match that did not need to happen between Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley, and they teamed up to take on Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. This was completely pointless. Completely pointless. Owens and Zayn have already lost to these two on multiple occasions on TV. They lost a 10-man tag team match to Lashley and Strowman, I think three weeks ago at this point. The very next week... They lost a standard two-on-two tag team match against Bobby and Braun. They then lost a six-man tag team match to Bobby and Braun on last week's Raw. And then they lost again here. I guess the caveat was that Owens and Zayn, first of all, the legal man was not pinned, which Owens pointed out in his promo to kick off Raw on Monday night. Not only that, um, but they teased tension, and they're going back to this fucking same old shit, what they've been doing for like at least three or four months now. With Owens and Zayn teasing tension, well, they're teasing tension. Well, they go back to, you know, fighting each other over the WWE channel. Oh, who cares? Who cares? Just keep them together and stop doing the whole split them up or keep them together. It's the same thing with the Nakamura thing. You either shit or get off the pot with these guys. You either break them up and do the feud, which I don't think anyone wants to see right now. And I love Owens and Zayn, but it's like they need heels. They're killing their credible heels on Raw right now. They really have no heels. And that's really what bothers me about this show. That this show did nothing to establish any new bad guys in WWE. Really, I mean, let's look at the the results real quick from this pay-per-view. Seth Rollins beat The Miz. Now, The Miz will be fine. The guy's a great mic worker. And he's on SmackDown anyway. SmackDown has a a strong crop of heels for the most part. But anyway, Nia Jax beating Alexa Bliss, which she should have. Alexa Bliss had her turn, but still a babyface win. Jeff Hardy beating Randy, or they're both baby faces, but two baby faces, so no heels there. Carmella did win, so at least they're building her up properly, despite the fact that she sucks in the ring, but they're building her up. AJ Nakamura ended in a draw. So Nakamura, despite the fact that he's a great heel right now, is still falling short of victory when it matters most. Owens and Zayn lost on the show, as did Samoa Joe in the main event. So again, I ask you, where are the credible heels? On SmackDown, again, you can make a case for Miz. You know, he's going to rebound. He he beat Jeff Hardy clean on Tuesday's SmackDown. So, Miz will be fine. I think he will become the next Money in the Bank, Mr. Money in the Bank. We all thought it a while ago. Um, I did say it on the show a few months back. Um, I will continue to say that I do think Miz is taking the briefcase, as he should. But, anyway. So, you have those guys on SmackDown. You have the Miz, Samoa Joe. Um, and a few others. SmackDown is set. Andrade's and Almas, they're, they're, they're all set. Raw really has the issue here. Raw has no legitimate heels. Including Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar isn't even really a heel. The guy's whatever the fuck they want him to be whenever he comes back. He's a babyface, he's a heel, he's a tweener. He's here, he's not here. He's not here again. He's not here again, you know? So they, they really need to start building up credible heels for Raw. I think that's the biggest issue with the Raw roster right now. It's not a bad roster at all. 
SmackDown has the superior roster, in my opinion, but Raw didn't make out too badly in that Raw in the uh, Superstar Shakeup a few weeks ago. Raw made out pretty decently. They have a lot of star power, and they do have their fair share of hot stars. Rollins and Strowman are super over right now, but what heels do they have? Ziggler, loser. Tag team division anyway, but the guy's a loser. Baron Corbin, fuck, he fucking lost to No Way Jose last week. Next. Owens and Zane? Give me a break. I love Owens and Zane, but listen to this. I did the research. It punched, uh, what would Dana Brooks say? I crunched the numbers last night, or on Raw on Monday, whatever, during Raw. Kevin Owens has not won a televised match on WWE TV since February. February 20th, I want to say, when he beat Dolph Ziggler. Before that, he has not won a singles match on TV since he beat AJ Styles on the final SmackDown of 2017. It's currently the month of of May. What the fuck? Wow. It's like, that's really... And again, that's really sad. That's really, really bad, too. I know you can make the case, oh, Owens is bulletproof. I know, but when you beat a guy like a drum, it's really hard to care about him. Or Sami Zayn. It's like, how are you expect to take... How are they... Why are they expecting us to take people like Owens and Zayn seriously when at some point, when Reigns inevitably wins the Universal Championship, they're going to be expected to face Roman for that title? Why should I invest them whatsoever as challengers to that championship? They have lost time and time and time again. Both of them. Especially Owens, but definitely both of them. So, that's what Raw needs to work on right now. Owens and Zayn are way better than they're being booked lately. I love Strowman. I love his destruct, you know, destructive ran, uh, you know, rampages and all this other shit. Just how he completely decimates everyone in sight. It's great. He's over. People love it. I get it. But you're not doing the rest of the roster any favors by having him beat the same people over and over and over again. It doesn't mean anything. Which is why no one cared. This tag team match was a complete waste of time. No one gave a shit. Even when Braun hit his finisher on Owens for the win, no one gave a shit. Because, not, first of all, nothing was on the line. And second of all, we've already seen it before. We've already seen Owens and Zayn lose to Strowman and Lashley multiple times. And then Strowman proceeded to attack both men afterward. To almost no reaction. Because they didn't give a shit. Why would fans, why would fans care? Because Owens and Zayn got beat up for the 20th under time? Again. Why should I care? Same thing with the main event. Samoa Joe, Roman Reigns. Oh my god, this is putrid. I love Samoa Joe, and they usually have good matches, which was what kind of, you know, disappointed me here. Was This not only not a main event-worthy match, but the wrong guy went over. The wrong Joe went over in this match. The wrong Samoan Joe. Not Joe Anoyi or Anai or whatever the fuck his last name is, but rather Samoa Joe. Should have been the one to go over in this outing, but he didn't. They want to move forward with Roman Reigns as the guy. Beating Samoa Joe with absolutely nothing on the line. People were already leaving the arena during this match, reportedly. You could see pictures and videos of it, so that's not dirt cheap bullshit. That is a real thing. And Can you blame them? You knew Roman was winning. Especially once Joe beat him up before the bill, threw him over the commentary tables and stuff. I knew it. as soon as he did that, okay, Roman's winning. It was very obvious from that point. And I was... Honestly shocked that there were so many people who thought that Joe was going to win. Really? I mean, I love Joe, and I guess they could, they should have told the story of Reigns suffering another defeat, 
going off the deep end and turning heel. But apparently that's too, what's the word, logical for them. So they went the route that no one wants to see with him slaying Samoa Joe and now moving on to the next rival in Jinder Mahal. Who cares? Again, going back to what I was saying before, the lack of real heels on this show is what's really not doing Raw any favors right now. Jinder, who cares? Owen Zane, losers. Baron Corbin, loser. And I'm not saying they're terrible by calling them losers. I'm saying the definition of a loser is someone who loses a lot. Ergo, Owens and Zane are fucking losers. Samoa Joe is on SmackDown. He's a loser right now, but he does not lose nearly as much as Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Same thing with Baron Corbin. Same thing with Jinder Mahal. Who else does Raw even have for heels? I honestly have no clue. The Miztourage? Like, <sighs> they have a good roster. They have people who can be heels right now, including Roman Reigns, including Bobby Roode, including Bobby Lashley, but they failed to pull the trigger. The sooner they realize that people like that are better off heel, Raw will be in a much better place. And that's Backlash. There's really not much more to say other than that. I said a lot, but Backlash was not a good show at all. If you did not see the show live, if you did not watch the show at all, um, I would recommend checking out the opener, and that's about it. Turn it off after that. AJ Nakamura had a great match, but you're going to be mad at the finish. So I would say skip that way for Money in the Bank when they have their next matchup for the WWE Championship. Um, but hopefully Money in the Bank is a far, far better upgrade than Backlash was. Because this show is just fucking a, a dumpster fire, to say the least. Thankfully, Raw was better on Monday. Raw did help set the stage for the Money in the Bank pay-per-view coming up next month. With multiple qualifiers taking place, as Kurt Angle announced at the start of the show that we will have not one, but two Money in the Bank ladder matches at the pay-per-view in Chicago. So this is staying along with the theme of last year where we have a men's ladder match and a women's ladder match, which I like a lot. Um, I know people were, not everyone, but some people were thinking, oh, we're going to have four ladder matches, one for the men on Raw, one for the men on SmackDown, one for the Raw women, one for the SmackDown women. That's a clusterfuck. That sounds terrible. I'm very glad they're not doing that. Instead, they're featuring four women from Raw, four women from SmackDown, and then four men from Raw, and then four men from SmackDown in their respective ladder matches. And so far, based off who they've confirmed for each contest, it should be a great... Sh- it, it, they should Both bouts should be great. Um, so I'm looking forward to both. But I bring up Angle's announcement because I heard rumors prior to Raw on Monday that there could be a third ladder match. Apparently it's being advertised they're going to have a third ladder match. And based off what we, what, I, we, you know, what we saw in the vignettes on Raw and SmackDown this week, it's safe to assume it could be a tag team ladder match. Now, I'm not sure how that's going to work. The tag teams always get overlooked. So I'm happy they're getting a chance, but it's like, that sounds like a ginormous mess. Remember we had that tag team elimination chamber match a few years ago, and it sucked? Yeah, exactly. I would not do a tag team ladder match. If you have the eight teams, that's 16 people there. 17 if you include probably the inclusion of New Day. That's just way too many people in a ladder match. So if anything, maybe even six teams. But even then, that's like 12 people. That's that's not good. I mean, it could be a lot of fun. But I don't know. I really, I really do not need to see a tag team ladder match. So I hope they keep it to two. A third match is overdoing it, but whatever. I'm just 
going off what we saw in Raw and SmackDown. Because you see the Ascension talking about ladder matches, but the Money to Make ladder match. You see Brozango talking about it. You see Primo talking about it on SmackDown, who I forgot was even employed. Um, I find it hard to believe unless there's like a last chance battle royal or something to determine, you know, the last final competitors in the men's ladder match, then I don't know why they would do a tag team ladder match or why they would even be saying that kind of stuff by having Brazongo cut a promo on the money to make ladder match, which you know they won't be a part of unless there's a tag team one. So I hope that's not the case, but I'll throw it out there for you guys. I'll include this as a clip on the YouTube channel. Would you want to see a tag team ladder match? Personally, I have no interest. I think that sounds like a clusterfuck. Um, but you know, you know what? It could be fun. So maybe depends on how many people are involved. We got no additional details on this on Raw this week, on SmackDown this week. So I'm not sure why they would air those selfie promos if they weren't planning on addressing it at some point. So maybe next week, but I don't really know. So I, I hope they keep it the two, but if they add a third, don't act surprised. So anyway, the start of Raw, Braun Strowman and both Kevin Owens interrupted Kurt Angle, saying they deserve spots in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Braun Strowman should be going after the Universal Championship, not a dumb briefcase, but whatever. Um, Strowman faced Owens in a qualifying match for the men's Money in the Bank ladder match, and it was good. It was a good match. Owens got in more offense than I thought he would, um, but the ending outcome was the same nonetheless, with Strowman going over and squashing KO. So it was it was good, right, man? I mean, it would have been cool to see KO in the match. He could still end up in the Money in the Bank ladder match, assuming he wins a last chance battle royal or some shit, who knows. But Strowman is, if not the guy, one of the guys right now. The guy is very, 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 very over. So uh, he is a uh, real candidate, a real strong candidate to come out on top in that ladder match and become the next Mr. Money in the Bank. Don't count him out. We had six-man tag team action also on this show, pitting Baron Corbin in the Revival against No Way Jose in the tightest worldwide faction of Apollo Crews and Titus O'Neil. Uh, the only purpose this served was to give Corbin his win back over No Way Jose. If you're going to do that, then why have No Way Jose be Baron Corbin in the first place? This didn't anyone, it did not do anyone involved any favors. It's like, if you have fucking Apollo Crews and Titus O'Neil on your team, why wouldn't you have Baron Corbin beat one of those two clowns? Not a guy who was just barely getting over just debuted no more than a month ago, is already losing on TV. I thought that was beyond asinine, but whatever. I expect the type of, you know, this 50-50-like booking from WWE, so I can't say I'm shocked. Ember Moon was the next one to advance in her Money in the Bank ladder match for the women, beating Ruby Riot and Sasha Banks in a triple threat match on Raw, and a great triple threat match on Raw, I should say. I thought this was awesome. Probably the best match of the entire show. Uh, Ruby Riot and Moon and Banks were all great here. They worked really well together. The interference from the Riot Squad was kept to a minimum up until the end. When they interfered, they realized, oh shit, there's no DQ. Why they would not have got involved from the get-go, I have no idea. But anyway, they did get involved towards the end. Bailey came to make the save and help out Sasha. Didn't end up mattering anyway. Sasha got bumped out of the ring. Ember Moon had a, uh, a solar eclipse or the eclipse, whatever she calls it, on both women. You know, shades of NXT TakeOver uh, Houston, War Games, whatever, from late last year when she hit on both, who was it, Peyton Royce and Nikki Cross, I think, or someone else? I don't remember. But anyway, so she hit it here and uh, had her hand raised. And Ember Moon is headed to the Money in the Bank pay-per-view to compete in the women's Money in the Bank ladder match. So that should be fun. She is a bright, new, fresh face on Raw. 
I don't know if she'll win. I don't expect her to win. But this was a great way to get over her character as someone to be reckoned with on the Raw roster. So I really enjoyed the match, and I like the end result of Ember Moon winning. And I would assume now that Sasha and Ruby Riot, unless, again, they get added to the match somehow. And like I said, there's four women from Raw, four women from SmackDown in this ladder match. A lot like the men. Um, so it's, it is even. Raw from SmackDown, or four, four from SmackDown, four from Raw. So that being said, I, unless Ruby or Sasha end up in like a last chance match to earn entry into the chamber, the chamber, the ladder match, I would assume probably on the kickoff show, it's going to be Bailey and Banks versus the Riot Squad. It would be nice if they played up this story like we th- they, they want us to think that Banks and Bailey are getting back together only for one to turn on the other, preferably Banks turning on Bailey. Uh, but if they don't go that direction... I can't say I'm surprised. It's really hard to care about this point anyway. But whatever. What's worth noting is that this match was great. And I would argue it was the match of the night on Raw this past week. Renee Young sat down with a returning Bobby Lashley. A month late, but sat down with him nonetheless. To discuss his motivations, why he's back, his family. This was kind of a weird promo, I will admit. I, I liked it. Any opportunity to get to know someone better is a step in the right direction. Having Bobby just come out and win matches left and right with no real mic time or any real reason to care about him, that's that that's just lazy writing. At least here they gave him the chance to establish who he is, what he's all about, why he's back, why he's a family man, whatever. Again, the stuff, the, the stories about his sisters were a little weird, but whatever. It, it gave us a chance to get to know the guy. So it, it's better than nothing. I, I will say, though, as everyone else has been saying, as someone who has been watching Lashley's impact work over the last four years, he does work tremendously more, you know, uh, he is tremendously more comfortable in the role of a heel than he is as a babyface. That was evident even in this segment. So I liked it. I liked the video package they aired on him, talking about his past and his background and this and that and whatever, and his impressive WWE resume as well. They said he headlined WrestleMania 23 but did not mention who he represented. Hmm, I wonder why. Anyway, I thought this was good. Jinder Mahal getting his win back over Chad Gable because 50-50 booking, that's why. The match was good. Gable did look good in defeat. He got the he got his ass handed to him afterwards by Jinder Mahal, but whatever. I think Chad Gable could go on to become something real big on Raw, as I said in an article for HiddenRemote.com a few days ago. I don't expect that to happen, but it would be cool to see Gable featured as, you know, a real star on Raw. Maybe not, like, world championship picture anytime soon, but the guy could be a real asset to that mid-card division, especially now that Jason Jordan's coming back. It is uh is being rumored that Jordan was backstage at Raw this week, is medically clear to compete, and should be back any day now. And I tweeted during Raw on Monday, how cool would it be if Jason Jordan came down right now, came down to the ring right now to save Chad from Jinder? And he won't get, like, a big reaction in terms of a big babyface reaction. That's not what I'm talking about here, but rather get booed. Because he thinks that him and Chad never really broke up and they're still friends, despite the fact that Jordan pretty much left him for dead by going to Raw and becoming the son, quote-unquote, of the Raw GM Kurt Angle. And how Gable was left to flounder on SmackDown until he was drafted to Raw in the Superstar Shakeup. So I would love to see some sort of storyline along those lines. Um, I don't expect it to happen anytime soon. I don't think Chad Gable will be the first feud for uh, Seth Ro- for uh, Jason Jordan. 
or rather Seth Rollins. I think Seth Rollins makes more sense. Seth Rollins makes more sense considering that him and Jason were teasing tension before Jason got hurt, and that was probably the match they were going to do at WrestleMania. And if Jordan's a heel, it's definitely not a WrestleMania-worthy match, but if Jordan's a heel and Rollins is still as over as he is now in a few weeks, in a few weeks, months from now, that's a fine feud to do over the Intercontinental Championship. Just saying. Also on the show, tag team action is Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler. Be Heath Slater and Rhino. Fine showcase for the heels. Bobby Roode finally beat Elias one-on-one in another match that did not impress me at all. This really kind of bored me to tears, to be honest with you. This was... It was whatever. My phone just went off. I apologize. Um, but yeah, I don't. I really just do not care about this feud. I mean, I guess it could be over. Bobby Roode did say afterwards in a post-match promo that he does have his sights set on becoming... Mr. Money in the Bank, which I'm I'm here for that. I don't think he will, but Bobby Roode becoming Mr. Money in the Bank and turning heel subsequently, you know, shortly afterward, I'd be okay with that. I would be totally okay with that. Anyway, it was a fun match. Really nothing new there. Um, Seth Rollins comes out to another raucous reaction from the faithful, and I think Long Island is where they were on Monday, um, saying that he will defend that championship with pride and honor, blah, blah, blah via in a weekly open challenge. Now, he did not say he would make it a weekly thing. I'm just assuming here. I, I would assume this would become a, a regular thing for Seth Rollins, which would be amazing. The guy's been killing it lately. You give this kind of, you give this guy some time to work on Raw every week, to have good matches. He's a lot like John Cena, going to become the, you know, the most must-see part of Raw very quickly, if he isn't already. But anyway, his open challenge was answered by, drumroll please, Mojo Raleigh. Yeah, I'm sure that's not the first name you were expecting to see when he came out, or when uh, Seth Rollins said he wanted to face someone from the Raw roster in an impromptu match at the championship, but whatever, Mojo Raleigh has experience answering open challenges like he did at the Rumble, and people sat in their hands when he came out to face Bobby Roode for the United States Championship, but that's neither here nor there. The guy's on Raw now, it's a fresh start. In all seriousness, um, this was a good match. I thought Rollins got the best match possible out of Mojo. It was not by no means a great match. But Mojo Raleigh was on offense for a good part of it. I mean, this had to have been his best match ever one-on-one. I cannot name you a better one-on-one match this man has had than this one. Um, I thought the match actually hit that with Zack Ryder on that Clash of Champions kickoff show back in December was not half bad. This was definitely better. Rollins made him look pretty good. I don't expect Raleigh to be get a, to get a push anytime soon, um, if ever, on his own. But you know, I thought he made was made to look good in defeat, and that's really all that mattered here. From the Raw Tag Team Champions, they were in action here. Woken Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt, deleting Curtis Axel. Did I say deleting? I meant defeating, but I guess deleting too. Uh, Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas, and in the main event, another Money in the Bank qualifier for the men's ladder match this time. Finn Balor, Sami Zayn, and Roman Reigns clashing in a triple threat match. Um, this was good. This was good. Balor and Zayn worked together halfway through to eliminate Roman Reigns from the equation. So it would simply be them for a good portion of it. Um, which Roman is no stranger to. He has done this before in tag team matches. He has done this before in rumble matches where he gets eliminated halfway through or early on. He does not come back until the end. That's exactly what happened here. Um, but this was well wrestled. It was entertaining. Balor did win after interference from Roman Reigns or interference from Jinder Mahal that cost Roman Reigns the victory, which was great. Jinder became the biggest babyface in the world at that moment. But in all seriousness, Jinder Roman sounds like a cure for fucking insomnia. 
That sounds dreadful. And I guess in the eyes or in the minds of management, whatever, I guess their mindset is, hey, maybe if we put Roman up against someone that's just as hated as him, that people will start to cheer Roman. I do not expect that to happen at all. People will either cheer Jinder or just be apathetic towards the whole thing and then just not cheer either and just make the match a living hell. And I've seen some people, oh, maybe this leads to Jinder and Roman in a qualifying match for the latter match. I do think this is the feud we're getting. I do think we are getting Roman and Jinder as a feud moving forward, which, ooh, that sounds terrible. On paper, anyway. I mean, the matches could be fine, but that sounds atrocious. To be quite honest with you, I know Roman and Jinder are working on house shows coming up, maybe this summer for the MSG Tour uh, in July. I'm not really sure. But that when I saw Jinder coming, when it, when I saw Jinder come out, I was not shocked because I did get the feeling they were going to do that feud after what Jinder said earlier in the evening. But the important thing is that Finn Balor won the match, and the guys headed to Money in the Bank, which is the best possible decision they could have made. I don't think he's going to win, but he has a pretty good chance. I mean, the guy has yet to get a one-on-one rematch of the Universal Championship, so he's kind of getting fucked over in that respect. But anyway, this was a good match, and Balor winning was the right call. So overall, a solid show. Did a good job of hyping up the money in the bank pay-per-view and leaving backlash in the past. Um, As we wrap up here, I'll give my two cents on SmackDown real quick. We had Paige addressing the audience to kick off the show, setting up the matches for the remainder of the evening. And our first SmackDown men's Money in the Bank ladder match qualifier of the night, we had The Miz taking on United States champion Jeff Hardy in non-title action. This was great. I thought this was the best match of the entire show. The main event was really good too, but I thought this was a really, really good match. Jeff Hardy's been on a great roll recently. He's been super over as U.S. champion. And Miz has been, again, like I said earlier in my Backlash review, the guy's been really doing well in the in the ring. I mean, on the mic, the guy's always been second to none. But in the ring, he's been, uh, you know, keeping his game up, or whatever you want to say. I think I just kind of botched that idiom, but um, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say with with uh, The Miz here, that the guy has really been delivering in the ring. He's been delivering the goods now for, for quite some time. So, real good match here. The Miz did win in what I thought was a fantastic finish. So, Jeff Hardy took his time going to the top turnbuckle for the Swanton. He connected with the Swanton. I'm thinking, oh, shit, Jeff's going to win, which would which would have been fine which I would have been you know, excited for regardless. But I did think Miz was winning. So anyway, he hits the Swanton, and Miz, at the last possible second, rolls Jeff on his shoulders, gets the 1-2-3. I thought that was a great finish. I've never seen that before with Jeff. And the guy's been around for a long time. At least not to my memory have I seen that. So um, anyway, good stuff. Great finish, and Miz is money in the bank bound. And our second qualifier of the night, this time for the women, it was Charlotte Flair taking on Peyton Royce. And a good match. I really kind of figured Charlotte was winning. I mean, like I said earlier, I think Charlotte is my new favorite to win this match. I know so far we only really have Charlotte and Ember Moon. Um, but Charlotte winning and cashing in on Carmella really only makes sense. Not really something I want to see, per se. But I could see it happening. Especially considering that all Carmella has been talking about for a month is, Oh, I beat Charlotte! I beat Charlotte! And then Charlotte beats her via the Money in the Bank contract. And I, I would turn Charlotte heel after that, but that's just me. Because she just works way better as a heel. But this was good. Peyton Royce, you know, gained something in, in defeat here by going toe-to-toe with the former SmackDown Women's Champion and, you know, looking good in the feet. So I thought that was fine. Cesaro and Sheamus having another nice little match after... Or Cesaro and Sheamus. Cesaro and Xavier Woods, I should say. Sheamus did lose to Woods on last week's SmackDown. 
Cesaro had his sights set on revenge on this show, which he exacted by beating Xavier Woods. Uh, maybe a split in the works for Cesaro and Sheamus? I don't know, but Sheamus did fail to beat Woods. Cesaro did not. So maybe that plants the seeds for dissension within um, within the bar. We'll see. Mandy Rose made her in-ring debut on the SmackDown brand by beating Becky Lynch. Now, Becky Lynch, has she ever really meant less than she does right now? She is such an afterthought in this show. It's ridiculous. they got to turn her heel. The commentators mentioned her uh, downslope recently, uh, just being in a slump. Not even recently. She's been in a slump for at least a year since the um, Superstar shakeup last year. When they took the focus off her and put it on Charlotte, which has not changed, Becky Lynch has just been another woman on the roster. So I'm hoping the loss here, which Mandy Rose did look good here. I mean, she always looks good, but in terms of her showing in the ring, she looked decent. But I think the real story here will be with Becky. Are they going to turn her heel? Are they going to give her some promo time to explain what she needs to do to get back on track? Will she win the Money in the Bank briefcase for the women? Now, who knows? You know, it could go either way here, so... If they turn to heel, I think that could be for the best. I mean, SmackDown for heels. They have Lana, which they did something with Rusev and Lana last week um, where they teased that maybe Aiden English is holding Rusev back and then Lana could reunite with Rusev, but that went nowhere. Tamina's been out for a while. She's terrible anyway. Um, Do they really have any other heels? I know they moved the Riot Squad to Raw. Carmella's the champion. They have the Iconics, who they called up, but that's really about it. Really, Carmella and the Iconics are the only legitimate heels they have on that show. Whereas for the baby faces, they have Charlotte, Asuka, Becky, Naomi. Maybe someone else I'm forgetting. They have Absolution for the heels, too. I forgot about them. Um, but I do think they could benefit from, tur- from turning one of those baby faces heel. And it could be Becky Lynch. I am all here for Becky Lynch heel turn. Whatever gets her back in the title picture, to be quite honest with you. And then in the main event, another Money in the Bank ladder match qualifier for the men. Daniel Bryan taking on Rusev and another entertaining main event from the Blue Brand. Uh, real good stuff here. They got great time. Daniel Bryan always works well against opponents that are bigger than him. So I thought Rusev uh, was a good was a good fit for him. And they had a real good main event. And then in the end, Rusev shocking the world by upsetting Daniel Bryan in clean fashion, no less, to qualify for the men's Money in the Bank ladder match. Now, I assume Big Cass would either cost Daniel Bryan the win. I know Big Cass attacked Daniel Bryan after the match at Backlash. But it really was not that brutal of a beating where Brian had a major out for losing here. Otherwise, he wouldn't have wrestled. But he did. Didn't have anything bandaged up or wrapped up. No, Rusev just beat him clean as a sheet. Which I know people will complain about, oh, how could they do this to Daniel Bryan? He just came back a fucking month ago. How could you bury the guy? Whatever. I mean, he's still going to be over no matter what. Um, but with Rusev, he, he's a guy a lot like Daniel Bryan who he has gotten over in spite of the WWE booking. So I'm very glad to see him get a clean win here. I do not think he's winning the briefcase. But it's cool to see him in a high-profile match on the pay-per-view. That was it. That was it for SmackDown on Tuesday. I thought it was a better show than Raw. Um, and it was enjoyable. Again, setting forth the stage. Setting up several combatants for the men's and women's Money in the Bank ladder matches. And it should be a um, pretty newsworthy pay-per-view. I'm looking forward to it. And real quick on 205 Live on Tuesday. I'm recording this before NXT on, on Wednesday. So I have no thoughts on NXT because I haven't watched it yet. But on 205 Live on Tuesday night, we had Lindsay Dorado and Grand Metalik beating Gentleman Jack Gallagher and the Brian Kendrick in tag team action. Good match. Tony Nese beating Cleeth Cable, or Clayball? Clayball? I don't know what the fuck. It sounds like a Deadpool character. Um, just total squash. 
Got a great video package on Hideo Itami talking about why he's on 205 Live, teaming with Akira Tozawa, and why it was a waste of his time. Thought that was really, really good stuff. In the main event, Buddy Murphy beating Mustafa Ali in another excellent encounter between the two. It started off slow, but once they picked up the pace, the crowd got into it, which was cool to see. So a fun final few minutes from those two. That saw Buddy, as noted, walking away the winner. So a solid show from 205 Live on Tuesday. But that's it for my two cents on this week in WWE. Really nothing else of note happened, I think. Not much else of note. Not that I can think of. I know there was a New Japan show. I didn't watch it. I won't watch it. I just don't watch New Japan stuff unless it's something like huge, you know, like the new Ju- like the uh, Wrestle Kingdom show back in January that Jericho appeared on. Speaking of Jericho, he is back in New Japan. Um, I think attacking Naito on some show a few weeks ago. I think he's working. I know he's confirmed to be working a show. Maybe the Dominion show next month? I forget. But he's working the same show that um, Akira... Not Akira Tozawa. What the fuck? Um, that Okada and Kenny Omega are going to be facing off at. Omega Okada 4 taking place at that show, I believe, next month, if I'm not mistaken. The same. I think it's the same show where they had their, their second match last year. If I'm remembering correctly. Anyway. So Jericho's back in New Japan. The guy could do whatever the hell he wants. He's such a hot commodity. Even 2018, the guy is just killing it right now. Rey Mysterio, same thing on the indie scene. But anyway, guys, that is my review of Raw SmackDown Backlash, unfortunately, and 205 Live from this past week. We will be back next week, thankfully, with no pay-per-view predictions or reviews or whatever for the first time in quite a while. And the first time in, you know, hopefully for the next month. I don't think we have Money in the Bank until mid-June. Which, again, I will be at and I look forward to, but I am looking forward to some downtime from these pay-per-views uh, between then and now. I think it's six weeks between now and Money in the Bank. So we got plenty of time before the pay-per-view, which I'm excited about. But, uh, yeah, stay tuned until next week right here on WrestleRant Radio. Maybe we have on a guest. Maybe we won't. Obviously, if it's just me, we'll be breaking down this week in WWE together. But, anyway, guys, before we ride off into the sunset, you can follow me on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant. Find me on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash gram.gsm.matthews. Find me on YouTube as well at youtube.com backslash c backslash gram.gsm.matthews. Nextdaywrestling.net has all my written reviews of Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Main Event, Impact Wrestling, Ring of Honor, and uh, when Lucha Underground comes back next month, Total Bellas comes back in a couple months, a couple, couple weeks, so that should be interesting. I don't really talk about that show here on WrestleRant Radio anyway. So though, for those, So for those of you who hate the show, you're in luck. Because I won't be talking about it the year on WrestleRant Radio. Unless it's something super newsworthy. But anyway, plenty of uh, wrestling coming up for the summer, which I am looking forward to. And of course, last but certainly not least, probably first and foremost, if you guys want to check out more content, more episodes of WrestleRant Radio, what are you waiting for? Subscribe to the show today. Rate and review as well on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on iTunes using the Apple Podcast app. Subscribe to the show, get all the archived episodes, every archived episode, dating back to October of 2013. You get the new episodes as well every single Thursday. It's a steal of a deal, completely free of course, and is now easier than ever to check out Wrestle Rant Radio. So anyway guys, enjoy the rest of your weekend. I may or may not watch Infinity War again in the next week. I'm seeing it for a fourth time. Let's be real here. I, we, we, we both know we're seeing it for a fourth time. Both me and you. Um, at some point in the next seven days, and will be much more gratifying than Backlash was last week. So, anyway, guys, have a great weekend. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.
Do I send them home? Do I?